You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Uh, We're going to start a new series, The God I Never Knew. The God I Never Knew. We're going to talk about a few different things. Uh, We're going to talk about the purpose of what God has created the church to be. Uh, We're going to talk about the the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But today we're going to start where I believe we should always start, and that's with Jesus. Uh, We're going to look at a story in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 43 tells the story. In fact, I'd encourage you to read the entire first chapter of John because it goes from the very beginning to God's plan in sending Jesus, the word made flesh to be our ransom, to save us, to to, to bring light to the darkness, which our world can often be steeped in darkness. Without God, it, it always is. But when God steps in, you know, every religion in the world is, is at its root is man trying to, to get to God, is man trying to be good enough, or man trying to get to heaven, or even just to find relief from their suffering. And yet, the, the good news of the Bible, the good news of, of Jesus, is that God came down. He came to you. He came to me. And he sent Jesus for this very purpose. Here's what it says, John chapter 1, verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And there he found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Jesus wanted to go to a certain place. Why? Because he's after the people there. He's after you and me. He pursued us when we felt like we were alone, when we were lost and broken, and even it pushed away God as far as we could. He pursued us. I'm so glad. Aren't you glad that God never gave up on you? That God loved you, he loved you in spite of uh, some of the things you decided to pursue instead of God. I know he, that, that was my story, that God loved me, he pursued me. When I kept putting him off, uh, he went after me, and I love this. So he there finds Philip, and as he finds Philip, he gives him the simple instruction. He says, follow me. What, what really marks our life is what the Bible calls disciples. Disciples are, are followers of Jesus. It's not that just that we agree mentally to certain beliefs and practices as the church or we show up to a building once a week, but it's essentially at its core. To be a Christian means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, I, I think religion often will leave us empty and dry. It will leave us burdened, but following Jesus will always free you. Following Jesus will always lead to victory. Following Jesus leads to peace, leads to wholeness, leads to real joy. I think the reason for many people that they become cold in their heart towards God, even that have been in church and have experienced salvation, that oftentimes there becomes this coldness in our walk with God, and it always comes because of a disconnect or a distance that we create through not following Jesus every day. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and there Philip found Nathaniel. Verse 45, not only did Jesus find Philip, but Philip found Nathaniel because found people will find people. Uh, It's impossible to be passionate about something and not talk about it. Just ask some vegans in the room. Like, it's impossible to be passionate about something and not talk about it. If there's a certain sport you love, you talk about it. It's not hard. You're not worried, oh, I wonder what they're going to think of me if I talk about my favorite sport. Honestly, you're probably not even thinking about it. You're going to tell them anyway. But we, we somehow get that way, and we, we get quiet when it comes to our faith. 
when we really are passionate about Jesus and we're really passionate about what God has done in our life, when, when that becomes the most important thing in our life and what he's done, we can't help but tell people. And, and here's what he does. He comes to his friend Nathaniel and it says he found him and here's what he says to him. He says, uh, we have found him of whom Moses said in the law and the prophets that wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip, who could have, you know, what we try to do is we try to have an explanation instead of pointing to the answer. We, we try to figure out, you know, if you're going to reach some people that are far from God, they're going to ask some questions. And you may not have answers or explanations to every question. And usually, I'll be honest, you know, I've been an outreach guy most of my ministry. Most of the time I've been following Jesus and I've had some questions. You know, sometimes it's like, hey, did Adam have a belly button? Like, I've never thought of that question before. And for some reason, people oftentimes will turn to religious arguments and discussion. But, but here's what I love that he does. He says, I don't, I, I'm not going to try to explain whether anything good can come from Nazareth, but I will tell you, just come and see. Come and see for yourself. The first point for you today is this. Number one, knowing God starts with seeing Jesus for ourselves. Knowing God starts with seeing Jesus for ourselves. He, he goes to Nathaniel and he says, come and see. Now for Nathaniel to come and see Jesus, somebody had to go and tell him. It's not an angel's job to go. It's not anybody else's job. It's actually ours. We've been given the greatest. There's only one thing that we will do that will last for eternity, and that's to point people to Jesus. There's only one thing we can take with us to heaven, and it's the people that we reached and we loved. And, and, and things like even this next Saturday, we have an opportunity to make a difference that could be for eternity in somebody's life as they respond to the Jesus you and I have experienced. And, and I love this. So he says, come and see. And, and, uh, and Nathaniel, as he's coming towards Jesus, verse 47, Nathaniel's coming to him and he said, Jesus says, behold, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. He, he calls out to him. He says, I, I see what's on the inside of you. You have no deceit, no guile, no mask. You're not trying to pretend to be something you're not. You're the real deal. And as Jesus says this to him, uh, Nathaniel responds. He says, how in the world do you know me? He says, how do you know me? Jesus answered and he said, Philip, uh, before Philip called you, before you even talked to Philip about me, I already saw you. I love that church. Be before, you know what Jeremiah says? Before, God says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were even a thought in your parents' mind, before anybody ever said your name, before any person, before any teacher called your name in a role, before any friendship ever developed, before you ever even showed up to a church, God saw you from all eternity. He saw you. He called you. He had a purpose for you. He knew every one of you by name. He says, before I saw you, before Philip called you, I saw you. I saw you by the fig tree. And he, he tells him this, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel answered, he said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, he said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Oh, let me tell you, you're going to see even greater things than this. 
You're going to see greater things than these. He said, surely I tell you, hereafter you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. See, knowing God starts with seeing Jesus for ourselves. Nobody can, while we all point to Jesus, nobody can ultimately do that for us. While they point us to Jesus, we have to encounter him for ourselves. We have to know him for ourselves. The only thing that saves us is knowing Jesus for ourselves. And, and it's not enough while Philip does his part and he points to Jesus. And I wonder, do our lives more than anything else point to Jesus? Do you know my job as a dad more than, you know, my job is to feed and clothe and take care of my kids and, and provide a safe environment and raise them and uh, discipline, but also create an encouraging environment, all those things. My job as a father, my number one responsibility in my entire life as a father is to point them to Jesus. The number one thing I can do as a Christian is appoint people to Jesus, not to win an argument on Facebook. I love this. The Pharisees are having a religious argument. In fact, they're, they're so resistant to Jesus that they're resisting the disciples. And they tell Peter and John, stop talking about him. Why can't you be like the other Christians? Anybody ever get told that besides me? Okay. And... and, and and here's what happens. It says in Acts 4.13 that they look at Peter and John and they recognize they're uneducated, they're untrained. But they see something about them that's different. They've been with Jesus. What marked their life was they had been with Jesus. Their life was a road sign. We think the world needs just an explanation, but our greatest responsibility is to point. Is to point them to the God who is the answer. And so as we tell people to come and see, and we experience that for ourselves, I, I, we, we, we need to then move to another place, a, not another place, but we need to take this deeper because point number two is this, in this interaction between uh, Jesus and Nathaniel, Jesus starts the conversation with what he sees in Nathaniel. See, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I wonder how many times we let what we think we know keep us from what we need to know. Like, can anything good happen in my life anymore? Can anything good happen in my marriage? Can anything good happen in my faith? Is, is God done with me? And we evaluate based on less, lesser information, and, and he's already pre-decided, Nathaniel, that nothing good can ever come from that place, Nazareth. Oh, but he's, he's about to experience that Jesus is the Son of God. And in this interaction, Jesus reveals something about who he is. See, God sees what no one else sees. And if as believers, we'll begin to do what God has called us to do, which is see with the eyes of Jesus. We need to see what God sees in others. We need to see what God sees even in our own life. Oftentimes, we're evaluating whether or not we're qualified to tell people to come and see based on how much we know. Instead of what God has simply done, I was once blind and now I see. I don't have it all figured out. I believe in theology and getting grounded and knowing what the word of God has to say. But listen, the ultimate 
calling for every person were to be witnesses, not expert witnesses, but experiential witnesses, that we were, this happened, this was my life before Jesus came into it. This is what my life's been since Jesus. This is how he was with me when I was lost. This is how he's been with me when I was hurting and when I was afraid. And, and, and so, so he looks at Nathaniel and he says, there's something inside of you. You have no guile, no deceit. Can I just say that Jesus sees through every mask we try to project to the world? God sees through all that. And, and this is important because, you know, the reason why social media is the industry it is, is because there's something innate in, in every human being that's actually God-given. It's this desire to be seen, known, and understood. Like, it, it's, a, it's how we're wired. But, but so we, we project an image oftentimes because we want to be seen, but it's often a mask of somebody we're trying to pretend to be instead of who we really are. And God sees through all of that. See, I, I know a lot of people who are outwardly successful in a lot of areas, but something in their personal life is still hurting or still in shambles or still broken. Their marriage is falling apart. They're successful in business, but, they, but their, their home life, they're, they're struggling. And there, there may be something out there. God sees through everything we try to project to who we really are. And what's amazing about God is God doesn't evaluate us the way other people evaluate us. See, see he says in Jeremiah 20 and 11 that I, he's the God who gives us a future. He has plans for us to give us a future and a hope. God sees future where people will only talk about your past. He sees a promise. We see the problem. Now, God sees the problem. I, I don't want to go to a doctor who can't diagnose the problem. That's why WebMD is not as effective. Because I, I, I misdiagnose myself all the time. Are you with me? And I'm talking about the heart. And, and yet... We have a God who not only sees the, the problem, he is the answer, and he sees your promise, and he doesn't evaluate your future based on your past, based on what people see or don't see. See, we all the time, we evaluate, oh, that person, man, they're, they're too far. They're too messed up. I, I, I love my favorite, I already told you this a couple weeks ago, my favorite thing to hear in church is, I never thought that person would come to Jesus. Oh, come on. I love small towns. It's awesome. <laughs> Because there's just something about it, because God likes to show off, look at Saul of Tarsus, like nobody thought that guy. And even after he became a Christian, like the church didn't even want him to show up. They don't trust him. But Barnabas saw what God saw. Barnabas went after him. And, and so this is important, we recognize this. I, I talked about David last week. Uh, David is, going back in David's story, David's a young man. And uh, he's taking care of his dad's business. And one day, Samuel the prophet shows up to his family's house. God's rejecting the current king because the king had gone far from God. And, and, and so he just, God's calling for the next king to be anointed. And he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse. And he tells Samuel, I'm going to anoint one of his sons. I want you to go to his house and find the next king. And so Samuel does, he brings his horn of oil and he goes to the house of Jesse and they throw a feast and, and, and Jesse says, bring out all your sons. And, and Jesse brings his sons, but he left one out. And he brings all of his sons except David. And I don't know why, maybe Jesse already pre-decided that David wasn't worth it. That David wasn't qualified. That David didn't make the cut. <laughs> And so Samuel starts with, you know, he goes to the first son who looks like Brad Pitt. 
and he's the best looking. He's the, he's, he's, and, and, and he goes to the son and he goes, that's got to be the guy. But he needs to see like God sees. You know what God tells him? That ain't him. I mean, he doesn't say that bad grammar. He says, that, that's not him. He says, he says, you got to not, don't look, don't look as man looks. Because God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And he goes through son after son after son of Jesse until he runs through the entire list. And every one of them, he's like, is it this guy? Is it this guy? And God keeps saying no. And he gets through the whole list until there's no sons left. And then he asks Jesse, he says, is there anybody else? Jesse goes, oh, Yeah. There's that one hippie kid who's out playing his harp singing psalms. But he can't be, so he says, we're not sitting down until he comes. So they go and get David. He says, that's the one. Because he saw what God saw. God showed him, this is my anointed. And so he pours oil. They pray over David. David becomes marked as the future king of Israel. And this is so important, church, because we have to call to something on the inside of every single person that God brings into our life we got to begin to not just evaluate based on the mess, but upon what God sees. Because God sees something. He sees a promise that we may not because all we're looking at is the problem. Quick story with David. Fast forward a few years. David is, is now on the run from King Saul because if there's one guy who's not happy about David becoming the next king, it's the current king. And, and so Saul pursues David, and David's on the run. But while David's in hiding, David's not inactive. See, some of us in waiting seasons, we become idle. I-D-L-E, not I-D-O-L. <laughs> we become idle instead of recognizing that our waiting seasons are still seasons to prepare for our future. And so while he's waiting, he's still fighting. He's protecting the interests of those that don't even recognize he's going to be the next king. He's fighting for Israel. See, we shouldn't be a people that only love others when they love back. Kingdom people don't evaluate, what can this person do for me? No, we love and serve people because they're made in the image of God. We may not agree with them, but they're made in the image of God, and they're somebody for whom Jesus gave his life on a cross for. And so, so, so David's serving, fighting for a nation that, doesn't, that even has rejected him at this time. And, and while he's fighting for them, he's protecting the communities and the families there. And one of them is a guy named uh, Nabal. Nabal's name means fool. I don't know what his parents were thinking when they named him, but Nabal's name literally means fool and, or foolish. And, and, and Nabal is benefiting from the sacrifices of David and his men. David and his men are fighting for them, putting their own lives at risk as the Philistines would come to invade. They're fighting the enemy on behalf of those that don't appreciate it. And one day, his, his guys are hungry, and he needs supplies, and David says, well, send somebody down to Nabal, because we've been protecting him, and maybe he'll take care of us. And so he sends his troops to, to, to Nabal, and, 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 and they ask for provisions and rest and all of this, and Nabal says, he, 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 he says, who's David? I mean, he knows well who David is, but he's, he's saying, who's David? That, that rebel, that... Why would I help you? In other words, he disrespects David. Now, I've, I've, known, I've known guys 
well enough to know that guys don't generally get into a fight. We don't get into fights because somebody was unloving towards us. But we're disrespected. Are are you with me? You never see two gang members go into a fight because they're like, man, you didn't love me. (laughs) David gets hot. He gets mad. He's like, we've been fighting for this guy. We've been... So, so his guys come back, they're like, he turned us away. And, and so David gets his troops, he says, get your swords, boys. We're going to take this guy out. By the way, not the way to solve your problems. David gets his men ready to fight, and they're going to Nabal's house. and like, I'm going to kill Nabal, I'm going to kill every man in his house, and we're going after this. And David right now is so angry, he, he can't even think straight. And so David is on his way, and and Nabal's wife, Abigail, hears of what David's about to do, and she's heard about what her foolish husband's done. And she gathers together what she has, and she goes with her servants before to meet David. And as they go to David, here's what happens. You can read the whole story in the chapter, but she goes to David right as he's about, just before he reaches Nabal, just before he's about to make one of the greatest mistakes of his life. She gets in the way, and she stops David, and she intercedes. And watch what, watch what she says. Let me pull this up. She goes before David, uh, and, and here's David's response as she meets him. Verse 21, surely in vain I've protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he's repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one more male or one man who belongs to him by morning light. So Abigail saw David. She dismounted quickly, fell on her face where David bowed to the ground. And she said, on me, my Lord, let this iniquity be. Please, please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. Now this present which your maidservant, she's brought a present to David, has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant for the Lord, listen to what she says next, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, talking to David, because my Lord fights the battles of the capital L of the Lord. So, so here's what she's doing. Abigail's really wise. She... She sees that David is acting just like her, just like Nabal, the fool. He's hot. He's reacting out of anger. And he's about to do a foolish thing himself. And yet, rather than talk to, in fact, in the story, she doesn't even talk to Nabal. She just goes and does it. Why? Because you can't talk to a fool and reason with a fool. But she appeals to a king. She speaks to what's inside of David Instead of dealing with just how his emotions are and he's hot and he's angry. No, no. She speaks to something that's inside of David that's greater than how he feels right now. David, you fight God's battles, not yours. God's, God, God's keeping you back from making a mistake. In other words, she's speaking. I, I, I think, can I just do, here's, here's a quick marriage counseling session. You can nag a fool, but when you speak to a king, he will rise to the level of your expectation. We see the, we see the dishes in the sink. Oh, okay. Jenna, why'd you say amen? 
and, and, and we, see, we see the teenager who's argumentative. And, and we see that messy diaper. And we see all the stuff that we look at as the problem. And we're like, ah, we just react to the foolishness instead of speaking to the king. It's on the inside of every life that God's brought into our life. See, God's put something eternal. The Bible actually says there's eternity placed within the heart of every human being. And God's placed that, and you and I are called to speak to that. Not just to where people are, because God didn't just speak to where we were in our brokenness and in our mess, but he speaks to the promise of what he can do through us in Christ. We sing about it this morning. I am who God says I am. Do you really believe that? Do we really believe that today? Because God's actually placed gifts on the inside of your life. Do you know the devil's not creative? The most talented people in the world, the most gifted people in the world didn't get it from the devil. The enemy can only twist and pervert what God's already created. The issue isn't if God has given you gifts. The issue is whether or not we use them for him or for something else. But here's the reality. God's placed something of eternal value and worth in the inside of every single person in this room. And that's the job of the church, not just to tell people what we shouldn't do, but to call people to what they're created for. This is what you can do through Christ, through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. This is what you're created for. And we speak to what's on the inside of people. When they're down, they're not out because of God. So Nathaniel, God speaks to Nathaniel. Jesus speaks to Nathaniel, and here's what he says. He says, you're impressed with what I just said? You're going to see greater things than this. <laughs> you're going to see greater. Like what, what you've seen doesn't even compare to what's coming. And does that mean what Nathaniel just experienced wasn't great? Yeah, it was. It's amazing when you experience God in a way that you recognize it's undeniably him. Like I prayed and nobody else knew, but that God answered when, when I was hurting and somebody called me and I didn't know, nobody else knew, but God led them to call me or, or I prayed for something and it showed up or whatever, that, that, that we, we know God is at work in our lives. And, and all that's good, but no matter what you've experienced, the good news of knowing and following Jesus is we're gonna see even greater things than what we've seen before. Third point, knowing Jesus means that greater things are ahead. Um, so religion reduces a relationship with God down to a couple things. And not that these are bad things, they're important things. But the main thing is that we see and follow Jesus. Because here's, here's what happens. Um, we reduce it down to just Believing right information. Like, here's our doctrinal statement. We have one as a church. I believe in that. We need a foundation on God's word. But we just go, okay, I, I agree with that. And we accept that that's all that faith is. Or, 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 or we think it's just about changing our behavior. But do you know where real transformation comes from? It actually says in 2 Corinthians 3 that we're transformed into the same image as we behold him. So as we set our eyes on Jesus, as we see Jesus, as we spend time with Jesus, I don't read the Bible to get more information. I read the Bible to encounter Jesus. I, 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 I want a relationship with the God who breathed Scripture. 
who gave his word so that I would know God. That, that in prayer, it's not just a religious activity and exercise, but I'm drawing near to Jesus, and it's just human nature. I become like what I'm around. And so we behold him, and we set our eyes on him, and I think that's the, that's the most essential part that often is missing in the lives of so many Christians, is that we start first with beholding. Because if we start there, faith is easy. If we start there, change is easy. Because we become like what we behold. We're changed by what we spend our time with. That's why Peter and John, what they recognized of them was they had been with Jesus. And and I think there's just something about a believer, a follower of Christ, that we've got to have an expectation and anticipation. I think Christians should be the most hope-filled people on planet Earth. You say, well, yeah, but look at the world. Look at how messed up things are. Well, yeah, anything that tries to take God out of it, God said in his word that every plant my father hasn't planted has to be uprooted. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Every, everything that man does apart from God takes God out of the equation. It, it, it can't work. Because we have to recognize the only thing that we can build our lives on is a foundation that's not shaken. And so when we look at the world, we go, oh man, it's dark. Yeah. Oh, but, but, but if we would see Jesus, we wouldn't be discouraged right now. We wouldn't be hopeless right now. I don't understand hopeless Christians. I, okay. I'm going to get into trouble. Because here's what, what we see in the Bible. Israel fails to enter the promised land. An entire generation dies short of what God wanted them to have. You know what God tells them? I think it's in Numbers 14. He says, as I live, I know there's disappointment right now. I know there's a problem right now. But God says, as I live, do you believe that God's alive? Thank you, Nick, and one other person. He says, as I live, the whole earth, the whole earth shall be full of my glory. Isaiah 6, the angels are before the throne. They're worshiping holy, holy, holy is the Lord. But the next thing they say is the whole earth that's got some issues because sin brings death and shame and fear and division. But the whole earth, the angels say that, the whole earth. Why, why are they saying that? The whole earth is full of his glory. How could they say that? Because they're beholding God. Maybe our focus is on the wrong thing. Because here's what Jesus said. Greater things you're going to see. Whatever you've written off, God hasn't. Whatever you think is done, maybe God's not done. Whatever you think is impossible, I just preached for five weeks on that, or four weeks. <laughs> God says, oh, that mountain, that's easy. It all comes from a relationship with Jesus, though. And what Nathaniel was going to find was what greater things, greater things were ahead. You know, the Bible says about prayer, Jeremiah 33.3 3 says, call to me and I will answer you. 
Just think about that for a second. God himself, God himself, like we're, we've got a new space telescope to replace Hubble that's going up, that's gonna see further than we've ever seen. God sees even further than that. That God, this is called to me. And I'm gonna answer you and show you great and mighty things you don't know. There's a lot I don't know, but God says, just call to me. Call to me for your family. Call to me for your future. Call to me for your, your, your promise and your purpose. He's able to do exceedingly, Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly abundantly above anything we ask or think, according to the power that's at work in us. I think most Christians don't know what's in, at work in them. So we're going to talk about it through this series. But I believe that the God you never knew is a God that can do things you never anticipated. Greater things are ahead. Would you stand to your feet? We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.